Hi, my name is Diewald Kirsten and I'm a photographer based in South Africa. I've always had a huge passion to connect with people from all walks of life. And the national lockdown has forced me to do that. I've had to come up with new and interesting ways of connecting with friends and connections and people that I've always wanted to connect to. Hence, this podcast. I'm doing daily live shows on my Facebook page where I talk to new and interesting people. And these I will be converting to podcasts that you can listen to on your own time. So please stick around and uh, love to hear your feedback. Good afternoon, everyone, and uh, welcome to another Lockdown Live. And uh, today is an exciting one. I'm chatting to one of my childhood heroes, Andres Neyman, former Springbok. And um, I'm going to chat a bit about what happened to him, where did he go, what is he doing today, and all those kind of things. So let's 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 start with it. I think it's going to be interesting. Hello, Gerald. Hi, Andre. How are you? Good. Yeah, I'm not sure, man. Mooi, mooi, mooi. It's awesome. It's awesome. Can us can us English speak? Engels, Afrikaans, maar zoals ik zei, ik 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 voor Engels, maar ik kan ook Afrikaans praten ook zo. Dus tussen die tussen die twee is recht. Ach, kom eens doen sommige, kom eens doen sommige Engels. Dan kunnen allemaal door die water wat jou ken ook voor jou verstaan daarom. Alright, is recht. Yeah. Andre, I just want to first of all say thank you again for coming to join me. I know it was short notice and everything, and I really appreciate um, that that you would come and chat to me. No, it's uh, it's only a pleasure, my friend. Wherever I can help. Yeah, no, it's um, like I've said. I've uh, you were really one of my childhood heroes back in back in the late nineties, and um, I, don't I just, make me feel old, please. Don't make me feel old. <laughs> Age is only a number. Age is only a number. <laughs> but exactly, exactly. Uh, I, for those, I think very few that don't know is that um, you played Springboks from what's ninety six? Yeah, ninety six to two thousand and six. From '96, oh, ten years. That was a that was a really good run. Um, yeah. And after that, what happened? What happened to you after that? Because it was like as if you disappeared off the face of the earth here in South Africa. Yeah, 2006. Obviously, I finished playing for the Springboks. Uh, retired, um, but obviously moved around in between. Went to Leeds, played for Leeds in England. I had a two months, three months stunt in France at Pepinot as well. Um, so yeah, I've been up and down here and there towards the end of my career, purely because of uh, a little bit of political decisions and stuff like that mm-hmm. within the sport. But anyway, I'm not going to bore you with those details. Mm-hmm. Um, but towards the end in 2007, when I decided to retire uh, from professional rugby at all, when I was at Leeds at the time in England, um, I decided to to go on a little venture to America and. Um, had some friends in America, um, went there for a couple of months, and then went back to South Africa. It was probably towards the end of 2007. And uh, yeah, just fly low, um, decided to go under the radar for two years um, for various reasons. Um, one of them was um, you get all these old rugby players. They always uh, retire, and then they miss the game and then they go back into the game and then they they can't make the top uh, teams anymore and mm-hmm. and then people start laughing at them and it's like oh you're too old you're a has-been you know hang up your boots and all that and i said to myself 
I don't want to be one of those. Um, I want to retire on my terms. I don't want to make a comeback. Uh, so I basically forced myself for about 18 months not to watch rugby, not to get involved in rugby, not to coach rugby, completely stay away from rugby. So I don't have that bug in mm. my mind the whole time of making a comeback, making a comeback. Um, so yeah, I went under the radar, started uh, work for a friend of mine who had a construction company, helped him in the construction, uh, one of his uh, managers on his projects, um, started my own little uh, renovation construction company in Durban. Um, and then, yeah, just started a family, you know, uh, two kids uh, with uh, Philippa. And then in 2011, uh, left for South Af- left South Africa for America again, and then went to America for coaching. Started coaching in about 2009, I think it was. Started coaching in Durban at uh, DHS Old Boys, um, and then just enjoyed the coaching. And then went to America, got an opportunity to go and coach there at a club, and yeah, and spent the last eight years in America, um, getting my citizenship for me and my kids and everybody. Um, just to give the kids another opportunity. Um, so that was a main one of our main goals. Why we went to America, we were fortunate to have an opportunity because Philippa, my wife, she had a green card at the time. So that's the way we got into America. And then we had to go through the whole visa process and application, which was quite a lengthy process and quite a costly process as well. Uh, but it, luckily, all four of us are now uh, American citizens as well. And then. Um, my kids started playing rugby and I started coaching them. Um, so I had to make a decision whether I want to do club coaching or, you know, miss out on my kids rugby. So I decided to give up the club coaching and start coaching youth, which means I can be with my kids. Started coaching at youth level. At the time they were under eight. So I started coaching under eight, under nines and, and so forth. And then in two thousand Last year, August, August of 2019, we got an opportunity to come to England uh, for me to be the head coach at a private school here in England. And um, yeah, that's where I am now. I'm back in uh, Mud Island. Um, so <laughs> not too bad. But uh, yeah, I mean, luckily I've lived here for four years when I played for Leeds. So I'm aware of the weather and the rain and the conditions. Um, I think the family is taking a little bit of strain to get adapt to living in the UK and it's different. Uh, so, but yeah, that's where we are now. Um, kids are loving the school as well. Unfortunately, they're on lockdown. So obviously they do online schooling. Um, but yeah, hopefully when the schools are open again and we'll be back to square one. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a tough time. And especially now with, with you, with sport and everything being canceled, it's, it's, it's almost like this, what, what do professional sports people do with themselves apart from trying to keep fit? I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a tough one. I mean, I mean, I've been on a lot of webinars and, and uh, FaceTimes and, and, and web, um, WhatsApp calls and stuff with other coaches and everything and sharing ideas. And I think the only thing we can do as coaches at this moment is just to, to self-reflect um, on yourself and how can you as a coach, how can you improve? Um, what can you do different than when you go back to your team? Um, you know, uh, find new ways of coaching, new structures, new drills, new uh, game plans. Um, you know, because sometimes as a coach, you always go back to what works for you uh, and you're too, too scared to, to change stuff because you don't know how the players will react. Uh, but now is the time to 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 do some self-reflection and, and look at yourself and find ways to improve yourself. And when you go back to your team, you know, they're going to be hungry to train and they're going to be hungry to play the game again. So 
if you can implement new structures or new drills or games or within the team um, environment, I mean, it's just a win-win situation, I mm. think, because they're going to be eager to play. You're going to come up with all these new ideas. They're going to go, wow, cool, this is awesome. So it's, it's, it's just going to be a very positive environment. So I think that's the main thing. The other thing is, I mean, obviously, sports people, we're always trying to keep fit, um, you know, go for a run and stuff. So that's the only thing we can ask our players is to go out there, you know, look after themselves, um, train wherever you can. Um, obviously, rugby, it's difficult. We, we have to try sometimes try and as a group um, to pl- pass the ball to one another mm-hmm. or tackle each other and being in lockdown. That side of the rugby, we can't do because we yeah. don't have teammates. But you can work on your individual skills, hand-eye coordination, um, you know, throwing a tennis ball against the wall, bouncing it. Um, you know, if you've got a kid, pass the ball with your kids. I mean, there's, there's different ways to keep yourself busy. But, yeah, it's tough. I mean, especially to, to keep them engaged. Um, the kids, especially at youth level, we're giving them exercises online to do. We're asking them to send us videos and photos of them mm. doing it because, you know, kids these days, yes. they'll say, yes, I've done it, but they don't do it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's 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 interesting. Time. But I think the best thing is, is to do self-reflection um, just on yourself as a coach. Um, you know, what, what can you do to improve? And um, when you when okay, obviously you you coach at club level in the states and 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 the rugby is not that big in the states at this stage yet. And I want to chat to you about that. But when you go to this school in England now, England, which is a rugby country, did the kids know of you? Did you say to them, "I used to play for the Springboks"? Or <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, some I, I don't think all the kids uh, knew me. I mean, they probably heard of me. Um, obviously, the school made a bit of a like a article and thing about me coming to the school so obviously the kids jumped on the line immediately and started well, like searching me and wikipedia and all yeah, that yeah. stuff out there um so yeah so eventually the kids started realizing who i'm actually who i am um, but i think they were too young i mean obviously like mm. i played like way back i mean they weren't even born when i played so it's i think it was tough for them to to understand really who i am it's more the parents some of the the, the boys their dads yes. would would know knew me exactly. They knew who I was. They were excited for me to come to the school. But I think the kids they didn't know who I was. Um, you know, until they did some research and they Googled me and all that stuff, and then they realized, okay, hang on a second, we've got an international coach and all that stuff. So, and then I want to almost say the dynamics almost changed a little bit in the t- in the in the, in the training sessions because now they knew hang on a second, I know what I'm talking about, yes. you know, so don't challenge him or don't tell him to do it this way or something like that because there was a few of the kids on the team, if you ask them a training to do certain things, they'll look at you and like, you know, what are you talking about? You don't know what you're doing kind of thing. So mm. then they started doing research and they realized who I am and then they're like, okay, hold on, maybe he's, he's, he's been there, he's done it, he's got the T-shirt, you know, so maybe I shouldn't question him. Uh, but, I mean, it didn't phase me at all. It didn't phase me at all whether they knew me or whether they don't. I'm just at the end of the day, I'm just their coach and I'm just there to improve them. And and what age are you coaching up, uh, now? At the moment, I mean, throughout the whole school. So um, our youngest players are under eight. Okay. So we've got like under eight players and they just play flags. So they don't do any contact. It's just yeah. like this flag rugby where they pull the flags on their sides. And then at under nine level, uh, we start with contact. And then it goes all the way through to under 18. So it's mm-hmm. pretty much the whole school. Um, so I... I'm the head coach of the rugby department. I've got a director of rugby who I report to. Okay. He's, he helps me with the coaching as well. So he does, he's in charge of all the scheduling, 
um, all the admin, um, all those kind of things. But he also coaches, and then I'm the head coach. And then there's teachers that help uh, because obviously I can't coach because mm. each age group has got two teams. So if you think about it, you know, you've got under – eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 40. Mm. I mean, it's like 20 teams. I mean, I can't coach all 20. Um, so what we do is we share ideas um, and then almost like coach the coaches or coach the teachers. And then the teachers will come and help me. And then I will walk around um, and just see they do it the right way. Um, so, but the, the, the schedule, the way we, we train is during the day. So during the school curriculum between nine o'clock and four o'clock, you know, we'll have like a double period, an hour and 20 minutes, and then we just do rugby. So it does help. Um, and then we've got like an average of 30 boys, and then we'll be two or three coaches working together with that age group per day. So it helps. It, it does take away the pressure. The only time when we do have pressure is it's game day because yeah. then everybody's on got to be on standby. But during the day, training is pretty organized um so I'm, I'm pretty much hands-on with every age group um that's out there um and we're trying to get the way we coach the under nines is exactly the same way we coach the under 18s so everybody understand the same rugby lingo everybody knows if we shout out a command everybody knows what it means so mm. it's not each team has its own calls or different calls for different moves everybody works on the same page which which helps because by the time that under 10 kid by the time he gets to under 16 or under 17 i don't have to worry about him not knowing the moves or the calls or etc etc so all i have to focus on is personal development management and then game plan okay well that's uh, it's cool uh, th that kind of stuff is not in south africa yet the, <laughs> it's it, each each age group has got his his coach wants to do it his way and i think that's one yeah. of the one of the bad things with South African rugby as well is that everybody wants to do his own thing and when everything needs to work together, it doesn't work together. Um, yeah, no, I mean, that's, that is the problem, unfortunately. And, and, uh, and I think that is what happened at the school at the time. And I just basically brought them in and I said, sat them down and I said, right, guys, if this program is going to be successful, we all have to work together. I mean, I know within... Let's put it this way, within your little team structure, yes, you can do your individual coaching, um, but we have to understand we've got to work towards the same goal. And, and they bought into it, and it's been, it's been working really, really well. And I did the same when I was in America, because in America it's the same thing. The country is so big. Uh, you have clubs on the east side thinking the way they play rugby and the way they run their uh, unions and, and, and stuff is the best way. And then you've got clubs in the middle of America and the clubs on the west side of America. They all think their way is the right way. And, and unfortunately, you know, it, it causes co conflict. Um, and, but, and then the players are in between, like, well, who do I listen to? Where do I go? You know, it's, it, it does cause problems. So unfortunately, USA rugby has got a big problem where you have, like, too many counties, processes, um, you know, they can't control everybody. And the weather plays a big role as well because the weather on the West Coast is different to the East Coast, is different to Texas, is different to Montana, you know, um, Colorado. You know, so it's different times of the year that rugby is being played. For example, during October, November, December, you won't play rugby in Colorado because yeah. it's too cold. You know, it's, it's really it's snowy, it's cold. Where on the in Florida, Texas, and in California, the players are still playing rugby that time of the year. So, you know, how do you schedule 
a proper tournament or, 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 or league when teams are not playing a certain time of the year. Um, so yeah, that is it causes a lot of problems. But what is the what is the future of American rugby? Because my mind tells me that it's it's such a rich country that they should be able to have the best team in the world technically on just just by what they've got. And and I've always said, well, there's there's only so many kids that can go on and play NFL. They play college division, and afterwards they might fall out and. Why, why don't the rugby teams recruit those guys and teach them? Because then they'll, they'll, they'll have monsters. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know if you've been following USA Rugby. I mean, obviously, they filed for bankruptcy a couple of a month ago or so. So oh, it just okay. shows you there's problems there. Um, it comes from the top. And it's been coming, I mean, since I arrived there uh, in 2011, I had friends who's been in the rugby environment already. And they warned me and they said, be careful of this, watch out for this. So it's, it's been an absolute learning curve when since the I put foot on America. Um, a little bit of mismanagement, uh, a little bit of mismanagement of everything, money, um, uh, resources and everything. So, But I'm not going to go into too much detail. But like you said, um, yes, everybody's talking about America being the sleeping giant. Um, yes, I agree. It's probably a sleeping giant. But the problem is I'm not sure what is it going to take to wake this giant up um, because everybody's tried and trailed. I mean, we've had two or three leagues, big leagues, where all the top teams in America would be get together and we'll play in this competition for one or two years and then it falls by the wayside and then the next one and then the next one. I mean, right now they talk about this MLR, the Major League Rugby. I mean, it's, it went well. The first year was a bit shaky. The second year was okay. But now, unfortunately, with this whole, whole uh, COVID-19, I mean, there's now a situation I heard uh, or saw on the radio... <laughs> on the internet, that um, they're going to basically stop it. So once again, there goes another professional league down the drain. Um, so I'm not sure. All I can say is rugby is competing against basketball, baseball, football. Yes. You know, um, So it's tough. It's really, really tough. And it's an Ameri those are all American sports. Rugby is not an American sport. And a couple of things. Rugby... Because of the nature of the game, you can't stop for advertising. Where with basketball, baseball, yes. football, every so often the game can stop and they can do their TV ads and that's where the money is. And they can do their advertising and their entertaining and then the game can go on. I mean, can you imagine playing a rugby <laughs> game and every five minutes they stop the game for, for two minutes for a TV ad? Um, you know, it's unfortunately the nature of the game Rugby is continuous. They can't stop. They can, yes, they can do some advertising during halftime and stuff like that. But I think that's one of the main reasons why rugby is not taking off. It's the money side of things. If we look at the other side of things, um, there's not a lot of colleges, universities that offer scholarships for students. So parents, the biggest thing for a parent in America is to get your child into, scholar, into, a, into a, a sport that potentially will give him a scholarship to a university or, or a school. So if you're not by 16 or 17 years old, if you've not made it in NFL, uh, in football, basketball, baseball, uh, that's it, you're done. Um, so the parents will give up, the kid gives up, and then they they become just, I don't know, whatever. Um, so And that's the problem. Then they go and try to play rugby. Uh, so that's the big thing. So a lot of parents do not push their kids to go and play rugby because 
what are they going to gain from playing rugby? Yeah. Nothing. There's no scholarship. So the parents won't spend the money and time to help their kid to succeed because at the end of the day, he's not going to go to a, scholarship, uh, a university because of rugby. But there are some colleges out there that do give scholarships. It's just really tough to find them. Um, you've got to be really, really good or connected to get those scholarships. The bottom line is the rugby community in America is very small. Um, it's very small. It's, uh, it's basically people that grew up with the sport uh, because if you take the average American that's, uh, let's say, 13 years old, his mm -hmm. brother didn't play rugby, no. his father didn't play rugby, his grandfather didn't play rugby, his uncle didn't play rugby. So rugby is not in their blood. Rugby is not in their households. It's not there. Um, they, don't, they don't grow up with it uh, like anywhere else in the world, like South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, England, and or the Europe. A lot of countries, they grow up with rugby. It's forced in schools. It's part of the curriculum. Uh, in America, there's no rugby at schools, only at high school level. Uh, ages, I would say, probably about 15, 16 and up. You'll get only a small percentage of schools in America that will have rugby as part of their school curriculum. Um, otherwise, if you're a 10-year-old little boy that wants to play rugby, you've got to go play at your club or you've got to find a club to go play at youth, a youth club or something like that. And normally, the coaching is very limited there. Um, I, I call them, and I might offend people, I call them YouTube coaches. Uh, okay. They go onto YouTube, they watch a little video clip of how to coach or how to pass. They think they now all of a sudden are a qualified coach and they go to the, uh, their club and they coach the kids. Bless their hearts, thanks for helping. Um, but that's where the breakdown comes. Uh, it's the quality coaching. <clears throat> and that child, yes, he'll be taught how to catch and pass, but he, he doesn't become a student of the game because... Unfortunately, the teacher is not a qualified person to teach rugby. Um, so that's where the breakdown comes. So, you know, I just wish there was a system in place where we as coaches can coach the coaches how to go out to clubs and coach. And that's why I went into youth rugby in America to help. And I didn't specifically have a team. I just went around the club and I was helping all the coaches in the club um, I would say, for example, this afternoon I'll be with the under nines and tens. The next afternoon I will be with the under thirteens and fourteens, and I'll just give my input and I'll help the coaches, talk to them, share ideas, um, guide them, and stuff like that. So basically, I was trying to coach the coaches in how to present a training program, how to talk to the kids, what questions to ask, how to give them responsibility and stuff like that. But that must be difficult coming from um, the background that you've had coming into a place where, like like you said, they hardly know anything about rugby and now to try and help them, even though, even though, like you said, you are there to help them and coach them to coach the kids. It must be, it must be very difficult for you. I know. It's, it's, I mean, it's difficult, but you know what? It's also very rewarding um, because they they like sponges. They listen to you and they, they want to – that's one thing about the Americans. They want to improve. They they want to learn, you know. Um, so so they don't look up, upon you and go, oh, what do you know? I mean, they, they were open arms. They accepted me and they they want to learn. So And and every time I get there and I see them improve, it's, it's that self-fulfillment within me mm -hmm. knowing that, I've made a difference. I've, I've helped them, you know, and, and that's the thing about America. I just wish somebody or something can help them because they are a great nation. I mean, their sports people are unbelievable. Yes. I mean, if you look at their, their athletes, they are absolutely superb athletes. Um, and if they can just 
understand the game and become students of the game of rugby. And, and I think there's, wait, probably another 10, 15 years, you'll see a big difference. You'll, then you'll see the change. It's going to take some, it's going to take a generation to change the whole mindset of rugby and because it is growing. It is definitely one of the fastest growing sports in America. Um, but unfortunately, financially, there's not a lot of structure or backing to develop the game. It, but it, it is being done at grassroots levels. It's been done in communities, um, but it's going to happen. So, yes, it was frustrating in the beginning, but at the end, it was, it was awesome. I mean, I managed to, to put an international team together that went to Monaco, uh, under-12 team um, that competed internationally. Uh, it was one of the first ever American teams to compete at youth level internationally. And it caused a bit of waves. Um, people were asking me, and how can they get involved and all that stuff. But, you know, it was there was a bit of politics involved, um, and I didn't want to burn bridges. So, and then at the same time, um, that's when I had to come to the UK as well. So, but luckily, the the program that I started over there is still running. Uh, two of my good friends that uh, that obviously live there, that they are Americans, and their kids are playing. They've decided to to take this program that I've started and, and run with it and, and and help the kids at that age level at under 12 to get involved and go on to these international tournaments and stuff like that. So there are people that want to get involved. You know, it's, it's just going to be a very slow process. And, and like I know when our school still and probably when you were at school, a lot of the, the bigger schools, they do international overseas tours like once a year. Like yeah. Paul boys will go or Uffies or whoever will go on an overseas tour. But I've never heard of anybody going to the States. I think maybe that might be something to get them to experience other cultures and their rugby as well. Yeah, I mean, they, they are, like I said, unfortunately, there's not a lot of rugby at the high school. That mm. is probably why you won't see a lot of tours going to the States because there's not a lot of high school rugby being played there. Um, but you have to, there's a very selective group. Um, like once again, if you know who to speak to or who to contact, you will probably find uh, you could do a tour or a trip to America. Um, I think it's going to be costly, obviously, with the exchange rate. That's probably one of the reasons why they also don't go to America. Um, but yeah, I mean, funny enough, my school here currently, they went to South Africa in 2007. They went on a tour to uh, South Africa. Every two years we go on a tour. But, yeah, I mean, it's, there's, there's definitely tour operators out there that, that potentially could take schools to America. Um, what kind of competition you're going to get, you know, that's debatable. Um, so, but, I mean, there's definitely schools out there uh, that, that, has, that has those, uh, how can I say, infrastructure to, uh, to, to allow South African teams to go there. And wasn't didn't Andre Force go to the States as well and coach there? Or wasn't he involved with something on that side as well? I'm not sure. I can't. I, I can't remember. I, know, I mean, I know Andre, but I can't remember if he went there. So okay. I, I'm just off the top of my head. I, I, his name came up. No, I, I remember. Yeah. I think I remember him being involved with something as well. But anyway, yeah. Um, oh, what did I want to ask you now about? Um, Okay, with with coaching, I've got a I've got a question for you with coaching, and I, okay. and I, I had a chat to Bernard Leroux, who's playing for France as well now. He's also an old South African, who's more a Frenchman now than a South African. Um, why is the rugby so boring? If we watch rugby now, boring. it's 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 boring. It's not uh, uh, just be uh, earlier after we we spoke. 
Um, I watched a YouTube video with your best tries and everything, and it was like the back lines, and you guys were running lines. It was you and Percy Montgomery and Honeyball and, and Dick Muir. There was there was movement in the back lines, and there was back line moves, and, it, and you guys were scoring tries. You don't see that anymore, and very, very um, few. Yeah, a couple of things come to mind. Um, I've never thought about that. Um, but you got to understand, 10 years or 15 years ago, the game wasn't really professional. Um, and it turned slowly but surely in 96, it turned professional. So basically, you had athletes or players that were better than other players uh, and then can take advantage of those, that situation because you've got mismatches. Um, mm. You know, you, if you... If it, team arrives at the airport, you can see who are the props. You can see who yes. are the, 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 the locks and who are the centers and the fly halves. Nowadays, if you go to an airport and you look at a team, you know, the centers are, are big as the flankers and the props are as skillful as the backline players. So basically what I'm trying to say is the game has changed because it turned professional. All There's no difference in the athletes anymore. So it's basically strength versus strength, where I think 15 years ago, you had these mismatches uh, between good athletes and your average rugby player. And that's why you could run those lines and you can run around people and stuff like that because everybody wasn't professional. Um, and as the athlete developed, the game developed, uh, defensive structures has developed because now all of a sudden you can, ex um, because it's professional, you can afford to have one coach focusing on defense mm. alone. And all he has to do is focus on defense and how to defend, defend, defend. And then the opposite, you get a coach that just focus on attack. So basically what I'm trying to say is at the end of the day, you've got two teams. They are strength versus strength and they've, they're matching up now. You know? So it's really hard to break down the other teams because they specialize in defense now. They specialize in attack. Um, so it's, it's just become more difficult. And that's probably why the game is now boring because it's strength versus strength. And mm. The only difference between the two teams now is the team that's uh, that uses the top two inches. You know, that's maybe outsmart the opponent. It's like a game of chess. You can make that one small move that creates maybe one small little gap that you got, and then you've got to have hopefully players that will see that gap and that will run through it or exploit that gap. So I think the player has developed, the game has developed. It's um, and yes, I mean I've asked myself the question sometimes. I watch rugby and I just all I see is just you know, ball runners taking it in, cleaning yeah. the ruck, taking it in, cleaning the ruck. And I, they probably, they're waiting for that moment. They, they, it's like chipping away on a wall. You're just chipping away, chipping away, breaking slowly, but you're hoping for something to crack. And as soon as the crack is there and it breaks, that's when you strike. Uh, because if you look at a lot of tries, you know, that the team scored during the World Cup, it's opportunistic tries. It's a mm. try that's maybe one player was a half a second too slow to get into a position, and he got exploited, went through offload, offload score. It's not like you say running lines or big moves or anything. It's basically it's chip away, chip away, chip away, wait for the crack. And then as soon as you see that crack, then you strike. Uh, the game has become a lot more, I don't know, technical, if that's the right word, um, more specific. Um, and the players have got a lot of better skills. Uh, they have to have better skills. They're physical, they're bigger, they're stronger. Um, you know, I mean, I just look at it sometimes and I think to myself, I, if I had to play the game now, I don't think I lost because the game was so fast. It's so physical. You know, it's just where is it going to end? You know, where is this 
professionalism? What kind of athlete are they going to create? Because I look on Instagram at some of these guys' personal photos. I mean, they've got muscles everywhere and they they, they big, big boys. And I'm like, whoa, where, where's it going to stop? You know, because um, it's just, they're just getting better and better and bigger. But don't you think that if, if, if you put like the team that you guys had back in 97, 98 with US and Honeyball and Dick Muir and yourself and Slug Chips and Under Your Bear and if you, if you put that back line against these guys now and you say them right, you play the same style of rugby, don't you think that you guys would run circles around them because they've never, they've never played that style of rugby? Yeah, I mean, there's two things. I mean, it's a tough call. Everybody says, you know, what's going to happen if you play this player, this boxer versus this boxer against each other. You know, it's like, I mean, yeah, I think it's, I think the game, like I said, the game has changed. Um, I mean, if I really have to do a, give you an answer, I think physically they probably would have manhandled us. They probably <laughs> would have, you know, um, physically hurt us. But I think in terms of speed and, and agility, we probably would have beaten them. Um, but then again, you look at Cheslin Colby, uh, Speckman, you look at all those players, they've, they've got good feet, they're fast runners. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you look at us, Brayton Paulser, myself, you know, Slop Chips, you know, uh, we were strong runners, you know. So, I mean, each, each era had their, has got their strong runners, their powerful players. I mean, if you look at our era, you know, Yarpy Mulder, yeah. he was a strong runner. Peter Miller was a strong runner. Myself, I, you know, I was pretty much a strong runner. You know, then you have Oster Runt, you know, Oster against the Beast. Who's the stronger one? Uh, Oster you know? win every single um, day. It's, <laughs> it's, it's basically, as the game has changed, the athlete has changed. I think, you know, I mean, it's, it, it's a tough question, but I think we, at those, in that time, we were the best players to play for the Springboks. And I think today, the players that are playing today, they're the best. Um, mm. But to compete against each other, I think it's, Maybe a little bit unfair because I think the game has changed. Um, so it's it's tough to make that call. But I mean, as long as you wear the green and gold and your blood is green, you're good to go. I think, um, like you said, you don't know where this thing is going to end and where, where it's going to evolve. I, I think this COVID-19 thing, as I see to Bernard, everybody's going to be rested. Everybody's going to be fit. All the injuries are going to be healed when everybody comes back. I think the rugby... Could be exciting when, when everything gets back to normal. Whenever that's going to be. No, absolutely. I, I there, I 100% agree with you. Like I say, the players will be, they will be hungry, they will be excited, they will be wanting to get onto the field. You know, but the flip side of the coin is, you know, will the unions financially, you know, what, how did this whole thing impact the unions financially? Will the players be cut contracts? If their contracts are being cut, where do they go? Um, you know, uh, but my biggest concern is, and I, I don't know what the answer is, is I can only speak from what I'm seeing in South Africa is why are the stadiums so empty? Yeah. You know, um, that to me is a concern because that's basically one of the big revenues for a, a, a union is bums in seat. Now all of a sudden there's no bums in seat. Is it because the tickets are too expensive? Is it because there's too much rugby? Uh, people are, would rather stay at home and watch four or five games on their TV because they can watch a team from New Zealand playing in the morning. They can watch another game at 2 o'clock and then they can watch another game at 4 o'clock. You know, is there just too much rugby? Um, because gone are the days where you take your family to the stadium and, you know, because, I mean, if I don't know, even know what the cost of tickets are these days. Um, you know, it's, it, I guess it's like 
I don't know, 200 rand for a ticket maybe. You know, if you're a family of four, that's a thousand plus drinks yeah. and food. It's a thousand rand out of your pocket for a Sunday, Saturday afternoon where if you stay at home and you just have a nice little dry place, it's going to be, what, maybe 200 grand. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's sad to see that people are not going to the stadium anymore. And I'm, I'm not sure what the, 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 the fix is, how are we going to fix that? Um, I, I think, well, my personal opinion, I'm talking completely out of, and what I've, I've spoken to friends of mine when we're standing around the bra and talking rugby, is that I've, I've probably watched in the last two years, I think, 10 rugby games. Purely yeah. for the reason it's, it's boring me. Um, I, I've, I've said it so many times is that I've got better things to do with 80 minutes of my life than <laughs> to watch these guys standing two lines in the rugby field and just seeing when the other one will, will leave a crack open, as you say. So it's for me personally, it, it's not fun to go to rugby anymore. There's no excitement anymore. Um, I, I don't think ticket prices play that play such a big role. I think it's about the people are, are lacking. There's there's an excitement lacking in in the gameplay. If you go to, I mean, you, you just, to, I mean, you just said it. It's like these two teams just standing in two rows and just running against each other because that's what the game has become. You know, it's yeah. like like I say, the, the teams are of equal strength, equal uh, you know game plans, equal defense, equal everything. So it's basically apples with apples. You know, you don't have one team that's more dominant than the other one or stronger or more skillful. I mean, they all teams are now evenly matched, you know, and that's where, that's why the excitement is not there anymore because you don't see one team dominating another team anymore. You don't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, look at the World Cup. Look at Japan. Who thought Japan was going to get to where they got, you know? Um, but because they are skilled, they, they, they've got the right coaching, and all that time, all of a sudden they make a difference. So now you're like, oh, hold on a second. You know, it's, it's, there's no more David and Goliath. It's now yeah. the same strength. So now all of a sudden it's the, it's the technique that, that one person that can do one thing different that's going to make the win. So that's why the excitement's not there anymore. Yeah, but that, that one different thing is a, is a difficult thing because like everybody's doing exactly yeah. the same thing. <laughs> Everybody's doing the same thing. So you got to, and as a coach, it's like, what are you going to teach your, your, your players different? What's going to make you different? What's going to be the game breaker? You know, and it's, it's tough to come up with ideas. I mean, the All Blacks did a great, you know, shift in, the, in about seven, eight years ago, you know, and then all of a sudden everybody caught up, you know, and mm-hmm. now what's the next one? Who's going to be that team? that's going to do something different, completely different, that's actually going to break defenses down again. Um, yeah. And I'm waiting to see who's, who's going to be, because, I mean, it's so, everybody's just so on their game at the moment. It's, the, it's the, scary. If, 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 the, if you talk about the All Blacks, one thing that, that my dad and I, we've spoken about, and my dad, is he grew up being a Blue Bull supporter from, he was like six years old going through. So, um the All Blacks, whenever they had a flanker, number seven flanker, that could rule the loose more, like Richie McCaw, your days, Josh Kronfeld, yeah. they ruled world rugby. And and uh, there was certain stages between Josh Kronfeld and Richie McCaw where they didn't have, they were not that great. So as soon as Richie McCaw came on the scene, he started, they started lifting up again. And I think it's because these guys played old school rugby. They were yeah. in there, they won the balls. I, I, we always said that those two guys were probably born offside, <laughs> <laughs> because 
<laughs> they've perfected that game, and that's what made them so good, is that they played yeah. how it was played 50 years ago in modern day's time. They could figure out how to do that. Neil Back as well from England to uh, another one, um, Ruben Creer, all those guys. They played that. They could steal a ball, and that will put the other team on the back foot. And the guys are not doing that anymore. It's yeah. the, only, the only the only consolation that I can say is history repeats itself. So hopefully, you know, like I said, where's this rugby thing? Where's it going to go? You know, so maybe this is now the the pinnacle. We're at the top of the mountain, and maybe the next thing is to go back to old school again. Um, you know, maybe who knows? They say history repeats itself. So. Maybe in five years' time, we're going to see old-school rugby again where players run and, and have fun. The only other option, and this is completely outside the box, is mm. to change the amount of numbers of players on the team. Is to, instead of 15, you put 13 or, or, or 12 or 13 on, give the players more space. Uh, as, as soon as you do that, the defense, now you've got more space. Um, defense is going to be stretched. Uh, so that might work, but now you're messing up with the whole tradition of rugby and the history of yeah. rugby of a 50-man game. I, I, I understand that and I get it, but if you want to see excitement, maybe take two players off. Take two players off, create more space on the field, and now all of a sudden you'll see players have more space to run into. Um, so then you will see people running again with the ball, um, you know, or find out a way of rotating players or say, you know, the attacking team must have one player more than the defending team at all time or something like that. I don't know. But then it becomes like football, yeah. one player on, one player off. But I don't know. What, what, Something's got to happen. What about if you if you make a rule that, that all tight forwards must play within five meters of the ruck? Well, then it becomes a refereeing thing, you know. So, I mean, how, how far is... How close is close, you know? So if the referees, if you say five meters and he's 4.95, is it within five meters? You see, it's, then it becomes like, how long is a piece of string? Is it 10 centimeters or is it 20 centimeters? It's still a piece. Yeah, the, um, so then it becomes a referee problem um, and the players will question it. But, oh, no, but ref, I was five meters or something like that. So, I mean, it's, it's possible. Um, or the other option is to say, which I think is keep it a 15-man game. But one thing that kills the game at the moment is there's a ruck. You'll get one, get guys that go into the ruck, pick and go. The old pick and go. They mm. pick and go, pick and go, pick and go. I think what they should bring is, is bring in a rule that they're only allowed to do that three times. Yes. You're only, allowed to, you're only allowed to pick and go three times. After the third time, the ball has to go to the fly half or the first receiver. It's got to be passed more than five meters. And if they want to do that, and then start doing a pick-and-go again, that's fine. But this pick-and-go, pick-and-go, one phase, 10 phases, 15 phases of just forwards picking the ball up and not even making 10 centimeters, that is boring. So, you know, that to me is very boring. So I do believe maybe a rule of you can only pick-and-go maybe twice or three times, then the ball has to go to the first receiver uh, it's got to go wide or something like that. Change that. Maybe that will bring in some different element of surprise because it's just boring. I agree with you. This whole pick and go, it's boring. I know the forwards love it. They absolutely love it because they want to try and run over people. The only person that I've ever seen run over people is Jonah Loma. Other than that, I've never ever seen somebody run over someone. So I don't know why they try it. Yeah, talking about Jonah Loma because he played in your age, in your age is that Correct. we've always said it. 
John Alamo could never score against South Africa, but then you had Frank Bunce and and Christian Cullen and Tana Umaga and all these guys that were scoring left, right, and centre except John Alomo. Yeah, no, it's, I mean it's I mean he was he was an absolute incredible athlete, you know. Mm. But uh, like you said, there was some other All Blacks out there and some other players out there that's also they've been a, a phenomenal athletes and, and players to play against. You know, um, so which really tested you. Like, I mean, everybody always asked me the question, who's your favorite player or who is your best player that you played against? And you just mentioned it. It was Tana. I mean, I yeah. loved playing against him because, you know, he was powerful. He was, he was not, he was quick. He was quick enough to get away from you, um, you know. So, and, and he was one of those players you always had to think, um, you know, like a Jonah, you knew he's going to try and be physically and trying to run over you. Uh, where with, Ta- with Tana, he could, if he wanted to run over you, he could potentially try. Or if he wanted to run around you, he could do that. If he wanted to do a move, he could do that. If he wanted to chip, he, he was just an all-round center mm. to me. Uh, and I, that's why I really enjoyed playing against him because he always kept me on my toes. I couldn't switch off. I had to stay focused on him the whole time, which was, which was awesome. And he's, he's probably, if, if people ask me who's the best rugby player I've seen play in my lifetime, it must be Tana Umaga because, yeah. and, and the one thing about him that people don't know is that, and, and you'll probably agree, is that you couldn't kill him with the ball. Yeah, would, that's what I say. He was always doing away. something. He kept it alive. He, he could offload. He could pass. He could read the game. He could, I mean, he wasn't a, 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 a known for his kicking, but he could push that little grubber through him through yeah. space. You know, he could see the vision, make that pass. He was just an all-round center, and that's why I really enjoyed playing against him. But he also looked like a hell of a nice guy off the field. Oh, yeah, absolutely. A hell of a nice guy. I mean, all the New Zealanders, I mean, they, they, they really brilliant players. You know, they warriors on the field, you know, absolutely smashing each other. And then off the pitch, you know, have a beer, shake a hand, talk about family and friends and stuff like that. They, they absolutely, I, I, I love the All Blacks. I, I'm, I'm, very, I'm a big fan of the All Blacks. Yeah, uh, they're an awesome team. Um, my, my dad sent me that I must ask you if you can remember it was a 90, 1997 I think it was the opening game on Newlands where they played the first game with the floodlights um, you you were playing still with Donny van Skalk because you inside center yeah and that night the Bulls killed province I was still there and it rained but that was before province had the fences up next to the field and it was like 10 minutes before the end and Bulls were far, far ahead, the, one of the spectators ran onto the field and tackled the ref. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we had a few of those incidents. Um, you know, we've, we've had a couple of things that I can't mention on the, on, on the YouTube about uh, spectators and comments that we hear and comments that they scream uh, uh, towards us, uh, which, is, which is quite uh, memories that will stay with you. But, yeah, I mean, going down to Western Province, you know, I think no matter what team they play against, uh, you know, you play against the team, uh, you play against the, the, the spectators, and then sometimes against the ref as well. So, uh, but yeah, those, uh, the Cape, the, the Cape uh, supporters are uh, an interesting, interesting bunch of supporters. On, on, on that topic um, that you say that you can't say on YouTube, aren't you glad that you played and was finished playing before social media got, got Absolutely. Up? Absolutely. I'm 100% agree with you. Um, I, <laughs> the other day, my, my wife and I, we were talking and stuff, and, and I said to her, love, I think if I was married, uh, if we were married while I was playing and there was social media, we probably would have been divorced 
<laughs> so, yeah, no, the social media absolutely changed the, the, the game of the player off the field. Um, all this whole TikTok and Instagram and, you know, it's, it's almost like they're playing a game off the pitch as well. Um, yeah. And I get it. It's all about sponsorships and get, I don't know. It's, it's, I, to me, that's where my old school, as you said, old school comes in. I don't understand the whole thing. Some of these players, they, they, they conscious image, image, image conscious, sorry. Mm. They, they posing for photos and show what they drive and what they eat and how they train at home and their lifestyles. And, and I'm like, dude, you share enough of your life just being a rugby player out there. Why do you have to go and share your whole life, your private life online as well? But you know what? Horses for courses. Everybody, they love it. and That makes them tick and that makes them happy. You know, and if that brings out the best in them and if they feel like they've got to put a photo of themselves on Instagram before they go onto the field, if that makes them happy and if that motivates them, you know, so be it. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I can't do that. I have to, unfortunately, I, I'm not a big uh, social media fan. Um, but, yeah, it's just interesting to see some of these players, what they do on social media uh, during they off time if they're not on the field. It's quite interesting. Yeah, but it's um, yeah, it, and it's also like I said, there's so much nonsense we nonsense was angejaged that that was never documented. It, it, nobody yeah. can go back and say, "Listen, you were drunk at that pub that night." That's what you did. So, well, where's the evidence? It's not. Yeah. It's not there. And and exactly I, the kids these days, everything gets posted on social media and. And and you must see it with your with your guys as well. You must obviously check their social media to see what nonsense. Yeah, I mean, post. obviously there's that whole privacy thing, and I mean, luckily, I mean, I'm at school a level, so uh, you know, it's hard for me. I mean, we try and say to the kids, be reasonable, be responsible yeah. with what you put on the internet, because remember, once it's out there, you can't take it back. Yes, you can push delete and all that stuff, but it's out there. You know, it's the same with words that you are saying once you've said something you can't take it back so just be careful of what you post out there what you say what you portray um, the message you bring out uh, what what message do you want to send to your followers or people out there just think about it think because i mean for every action there's a reaction um, so you know just be careful so we're trying to guide them you know trying to mentor these kids uh, with their cell phones but some of these kids are so self-entitled they 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 believe they that, that's their right. It's their right to do this and it's freedom of speech and they can do all those things, but they, they don't understand what, uh, what do you call it? Um, knock on effect it have. If you say something yeah. about other people, you know, then I always try and say to them, think about it. If somebody had to say something about you, how are you going to feel? Um, you know, so always treat other people the way you want to be treated kind of thing. Um, you know, so and that's why I try and stay away from social media um, yes, I'm on social media. I'm not going to be a hypocrite, but I, the things, the way I use it is for my coaching, uh, to promote uh, rugby and stuff like that. It's not to to promote what I do and how I can throw a ball to spin a bottle top off and yeah. how to slice an orange in the half and, and all these other things. It's about, I use my social media to promote rugby, to improve myself and those kind of things, a whole different ball game, um, not to, to show people how funny I can be. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you th if if social media was around and you were still playing, and I know you play, uh, which was the toughest coach you played under? Um, I, I mean, I've played for a few coaches. Um, I would say the coach that I really enjoyed playing for was Nick Mallet. Yeah. Um, you know, he he was a really consistent coach. You knew exactly where you were standing with him. 
you know. And what I liked about him, he was was uh, simple. He called a spade a spade. A lot of the players and media like, uh, questioned why he was swearing and stuff like that during interviews and during the training sessions. But we saw it as passion. It was passion. He was passionate about the game, just like we were passionate at, uh, for the game. So if he would throw in a swear word every now and again, it's okay because we knew why he said it. We Because he's passionate about it. Um, and I think the media just took it out of context every now and again. Uh, to quote him, uh, but I mean, I honestly, I really enjoyed playing for Nick Mallet. He made you believe that you are the best player in your position, um, you know. So, which was great. Uh, the other player was uh, Phil Davies uh, at Leeds. Mm. I really en- play, enjoyed playing under him as well. Uh, he was a great mentor, absolutely great mentor. Taught me a, a lot of off the field and and how to prepare myself to go onto the field. Um, on the field, he basically just let me be. He let me express myself. He, he basically came to me and said, Andre, you've played at the highest level. You've inter- you present, represented your country. You've played international. What more can I coach you? All I want you to do is every Saturday make a difference. Um, express yourself. And, and, and that to me was like, oh, wow, okay. I can do what I want to do within his game plan, within his structure. And, and that was just amazing. It was like having that freedom to do what I wanted to do within the game plan. It was just unbelievable. And then off, obviously off the field stuff, mentoring, how to prepare yourself, how to improve yourself, how to self-reflect on what you've been doing and stuff like that. And those are the things that, that I'm grateful he taught me. Um, you know, it's, yeah. So those are the two coaches that, that really made an impact on my life. Um, and with both of them, if – if social media was around back then, do you think that they would have taken any of the nonsense that guys are doing now? <laughs> Probably not. Uh, <laughs> I don't think so. Um, I mean, I can tell you a little story, unfortunately. I mean, I, it's not bad. Um, when Rudolf Stroyli was the yeah. coach at the Springboks, I mean, uh, it was the cell phones just was becoming an issue. And then he would basically, we all had to put our cell phones in a, in a, like a container um, you know, and they'll take our cell phones away from us during uh, when we're in the hotels and stuff like that. So Rudolf had a big problem with cell phones. Um, him and I, we, we bumped heads at one stage because at the time um, I was busy building my house in Durban um, and I had to use my cell phone because I had to talk to the contractors and what's going on on the building site. And he basically told me to take my cell phone away. and I just refused. I said to him, I'm sorry, I'm not giving you my cell phone. Um, so he was very upset with me and uh, he basically had one training he made me stand on the side of the pitch and let the whole team do fitness uh, because to punish them because I didn't put my cell phone in the in the tub the, or in the box yeah. that I was supposed to but I explained to him I said to him I will not put my because I need my phone for business not for social media and all that stuff it was business if I don't answer my phone I lose money I, will, I something's going to happen on the construction site so so yeah so him and i we got a bit of a a a head clash a bit of a words in terms of that but i mean it didn't have was nothing to do with um, social media but i think rudolph didn't have he didn't like cell phones and i think nick probably wouldn't have liked cell phones and the whole social media he would have said to us that's that's bullshit sorry (laughs) you can't use that you know you got to focus on the game because cell phones are distraction yeah. Believe it or not, it's it's a distraction. And, and that's why I can't understand that some of these players, I see them getting off a bus and they walk around with their cell phones. And, and I'm like, that's a distraction. You should be focusing on the game. You should be, you know, 
visualizing. You should be running through your head. What are you going to be doing and stuff like that? But, but then they can say, they can use the excuse of they use their cell phone to calm them down or listen music or, you know, because they get too tense thinking about the game. It's, it's their little getaway uh, before the game or I don't know. It's just like you said, old school. Maybe I'm old school. I don't know. I apologize if I am, you know, to the younger players that are listening. And you they probably are... say, oh, Andre, you don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> but you know what? At the end of the day, as long as they perform on the pitch, and, and that's what I tell my players, I don't care what you do on the other side of the four white lines. You can do whatever you want. You're all a grown-up adults. You know, uh, do what you want to do on the other side of the four white lines. But as soon as that affects your performance on the inside of the four lines, then I'm going to step in uh, and make some changes. Um, so I will judge you on your performance on the inside of the four white lines on the pitch because that's my business. That's my job. What you do outside of the four white lines, I don't care. Uh, but if it's going to affect your performance, I will step in. And that's what I basically tell my players. Yeah, no, it's, a, it, it's strange times we live in. Apart from all this viruses and all sorts of stuff, it, it, it is a strange time that we live in. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it, no. that's not going to go away, especially now. It, especially now that people figured out they can work from home, there's more stuff that they can do on their, on their laptops with internet than they could have. Um, I, I think it's going to get worse in that, in that case, but hopefully it doesn't impact our, our sports too much. Yeah, I mean, the, the world is, it's technology. I mean, the, the whole, the, unfortunately, the future is technology. I mean, uh, if you look at kids and everything, everything's going to go computer, everything's going to be digital. Like you said, I mean, people will realize they can stay at home and work. I think there's going to be a lot of uh, companies, more and more companies are going to be potentially tell the, uh, the employees to stay at home, work from home because then they don't have to rent a building or, or yeah. have a building, you know. Uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely going to change. But uh, luckily, sport, you have to be outside. You can't do sports uh, online. Um, but hopefully it doesn't affect the, the sports too much. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. It's, it's This whole thing is, I mean, we talked about it the other day, is what's going to happen in three months' time, hopefully when this whole COVID-19 is over and finished, what is a handshake anymore? Are people going to shake hands? Yeah. You know, um, how, how are people going to say hello to each other? Uh, you know, just, you know, the, 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 the old handshake is but it's maybe something of the past. Uh, people are not going to shake hands anymore, um, which is sad, you know. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how people move forward with this whole thing. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's, it's I, I think it's going to be longer than three months. I think for the next year, the world is still going to be up and up, upended. Um, like the Olympic Games is, is moved. It's all these things. It's, exactly. Who would have ever thought in our lifetime that something like that would happen? Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. I mean, it's, that's why it's sad, but unfortunately, you know what? All we can do is just stay positive, you know, and uh, just look after yourself and your family and, you know, and do what's expected from you. Just stay safe, uh, you know, and not challenge the the nature because as soon as you challenge nature you will come second yeah. and uh, you know and just look after yourself and be safe that's all are you coming back to South Africa anytime soon even for holiday um, I was I was expected to fly in uh, towards the middle of May I was expected to to go back to South Africa to do some uh, business and visit uh, people uh, but unfortunately with the flights obviously it's been mm. cancelled so um, the 
the, the flight is still available to me for a year and a year's time. So hopefully we'll uh, reschedule um, what I had to do. Um, and then, yeah, but coming back to South Africa to live there, tough one. It's a tough question. Every, sometimes people ask me that question. Um, yes, I would love to, but for me, I'm not sure there's a future there for me. Um, there's, in terms of coaching, uh, there's, there's so many coaches out there at the moment in South Africa. Um, so unless it's a specific school or club that would like to, to, to see the value in me, um, otherwise, no, I don't think so. Um, in terms of my kids, um, whether I want them to go back there, yes, I would like them to go back there and stay in touch with their roots, where they come from. Um, you know, so that's why we always take them back there to go and visit, uh, visit grandma um, and family and friends. Uh, but I'm, I don't think their future is in South Africa. I've got a funny feeling both our kids will probably end up in America when they finish with school. Um, and they'll probably go to America to, for co uh, to college there. Uh, but yeah, we'll always stay in touch with South Africa, but I doubt we'll live there one day. Uh, but never say never. Um, yeah. Unless there's a proper opportunity for me there that makes financially sense, um, I, I don't think I'll, I'll move back to South Africa, but sadly. Also, but I'll always be in touch with South Africa. I'm always a South African. Um, you know, I love South Africa. But uh, the, the, the world is too big to see. There's so many yeah. things to see. There's so many things to do. You know, you can't just tie yourself down to, to one spot. Um, I said to my wife, you know, once the kids are finished, yeah, we'll, we'll take uh, another, another journey. I don't know where that's going to be. Maybe Australia, maybe New Zealand, maybe Dubai. We don't know. We, it's just, uh, unfortunately, my wife and I, we, we both love to travel. We, we love exploring. Um, experiencing different countries and meeting other people from countries and cultures. So who knows, we, in four or five years' time, we might be in a different country and we can have this conversation again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, th I don't think anybody that wants to coach in South Africa, um, it's, like, it's like opening up a can of worms because of all the yeah. negativity connected to it. It's, it's an unfortunate thing, but no South Africa will ever be happy with anybody coaching the South African Team of any sort. Well, no, of course. I mean, that, that, it's, uh, that, that's why I say to you, I mean, uh, if I can go back to South Africa, uh, the, the chances are probably slim that I would like to go into coaching because, I mean, it, it's just there's a lot of politics involved and I've got still friends there and it's, I don't want to get involved in those politics. If I do go back to South Africa, it will probably be for a business opportunity or a business adventure. Uh, but not necessary for coaching. Um, it's, I, I don't know. I'm not, I don't see myself coaching rugby in South Africa. I would love to, but I can't see myself doing it um, because I don't see any stability uh, there. Um, I see more stability here where I am right now. Um, but then again, as you said, how far is coaching going to go? You know, what's going to happen with rugby in the future? It is concerning. Um, so that's why I have to keep my options open and, and look for Plan B, in case, you know, this whole coronavirus kills rugby to a point where it's going to be very a small, small um, sport um, or being played. You might not be able to travel anymore. You know, maybe they're only going to play rugby inside of the super, the super rugby might fold. So because the teams might not be able to travel to Australia, New Zealand, and Argentina, wherever, you know, so that might happen. Um, so, yeah, it, like I said, history repeats itself. We might have to go back to club rugby. Well, that, I've, 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 I've always said it, and I've said it 
back, probably back when you guys played, there was no such thing as being signed in Standard 8 to go play for the Bulls. No. It's, you had to go through the ranks. You, you had to go play club rugby. In club rugby, you had to play um, uh, uh, trials to go for the for province. And then yeah. only then you could be um, eligible to play for a province. And, and that's what they need to do. They need to stop the yeah. signing of... There's youngsters in school here that's 16, 17 years old and they're earning 10, 15,000 rand a month. They've never even put that jersey over their head. It's <laughs> wrong. Know, it's, 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 it's crazy. I mean, it, uh, it was, it's crazy because when I left in 2011, when I left South Africa, um, I, I still had a lot of contacts in Pretoria and they, they were telling me that the kids, the boys were in Waterkloof and Afis yeah. and all those places. It's, it's, it was sad to see what the, the, they are doing with these boys and on all these supplements and all that stuff. It's heat market. It's like they come in, they play two, three, four years, they burn out too much rugby, and then what do they do with those kids then? You know, then this poor child is 25. I mean, not that he was, but look at uh, Patrick Lambie. I mean, yeah. where's Patrick now? He played four, five years, and where is he now? Uh, not that he was one of those kids that they signed at school. But he was earmarked at school, you know. Um, but that's a sad thing. As soon as this kid, you know, I, I would love to see what is the average age in our provincial teams. I would not be surprised if it's maybe 23, 24, mm. um, you know, where 15 years ago, the average age was maybe 28. Um, so the kids are just getting younger and younger and younger. And my question is, what are they going to do with these poor kids when they – 26, 27, and they don't want them anymore, and they're going for the younger one, what are they doing with those 27-year-old players? Do they help them? Are they guiding them how to transition from rugby to life after rugby? Are they helping them? Are they guiding them? Yes, they might have a lot of money in the bank, but how much money is... Money doesn't yeah. buy you a career. It's going to yeah. not last very long. You need, you need a career. You need something to do after rugby, and I just really hope they, they help these kids transition from rugby to life after rugby because, trust me, it's, it's not an easy transition. And, and also the, the, the pool is so big that every, every first-team player in every single high school wants to play for the Springboks. He wants to yep. play for the Stormers or the Bulls or the Sharks. And, and, and you, you, the, the puddle that you need to swim in gets smaller every time. So yeah. how's he going to react if he doesn't get selected for to go to the Sharks? Or let's say he gets offered a contract and he falls out, or and how's he gonna? How's he gonna? Like yeah. you said, how's he gonna survive that mental breakdown at that at that young age? Yeah, but then, like you just said, you know, there's so the the pool is so big. There's so many kids out there that would like to wear that jersey. So, what do they have to do to get the jersey? What what's that one thing that's gonna make them stand out? Unfortunately, then they start doing drugs and they do yeah. supplements and steroids and all those kind of things because they want to be bigger and stronger than the next guy. And that, so that's a knock-on effect because the competition is so big or so strong to get there that the kids are not king. And then sometimes the parents are all yeah. helping. The parents are promoting the child to use these products that they shouldn't be using. Um, you know, and I'm a firm believer. I don't think a child at the age under 16, 17 should be in a gym. Uh, um, I think they should be in a gym, but no, no, do no weights. They should do body weight, push-ups, sit-ups, 
pull-ups, those kind of things, a lot of those kind of... Only at the age of 17, 18, I believe they should get into a gym and slowly but surely starting doing weight training. Um, but you get kids that are 13 years old, yeah. they look like they're 18 years old. And I'm like, you, you know, the damage that you are doing to that child's bone structure is just unbelievable. Um, you know, it's just, yeah, it's sad to see that some of these people, um, I don't want to, I don't know what you call them, <laughs> unions, people, agents, whatever you want to mm. call them, that actually allow these kids at that age to do the things they do just because they want this child to wear a jersey one day, I don't think it's worth it. I honestly don't think it's worth putting your child through that to put that jersey, uh, to for that jersey. Uh, let them do it the natural way. I mean, cream cream always rises to the top. If they're yeah. good enough, they will get to the top. If they're good enough and they've got the talent, they will put the jersey on. Don't force them to do things to get that jersey. It won't last. Yeah, it's yeah, like I said, I, I wish it will go back to that system. Play for a club, be noticed, get pulled up, play the the, the trials, but yeah, yeah we'll, we'll. I think I think maybe with the COVID nineteen thing, like you said, if the rugby, the business of rugby slows down so much that they won't have money to pay these guys because the international yeah. players are already taking a pay cut, and yeah. it was it was in the news here. I think the first player from the Bulls left. I think it was end of last week. He he resigned from the Bulls because. He wasn't prepared to take that pay cut. Yeah. So, but now I'm probably going to be sh shot down for this. They're probably going to kill me for this. But that's where play for the game is going to come in. Yeah. You play for the game. Pr yeah. Play for the love of the game. And, and you're right. Maybe the business side of rugby is going to die down or, 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 or change. Um, and the players will have to accept to take pay cuts and accept that, you know, I'm playing this game because I love rugby. But I think the players nowadays are playing to make money. They don't play because they want to play rugby and because they enjoy rugby. They're playing it to make money because that's all they have. It's their players as quick, fast, and hard as they can make as much money as they can because then they want to retire. And that's what I'm saying to you. They're going to, some of them can retire at the age of 26, but what then? What, what are you going to do then? <laughs> you can only drink so many tequilas in, in fancy exactly. restaurants and, and your Ferrari still needs to be filled up. You need to pay the insurance. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. That's that's what I say. And, and maybe you're right. Maybe the business side of rugby is going to die down, and then we're going to see players coming through playing for the love of the game again. And it's going to be semi-pro potentially. You know, go semi-pro, train on a Tuesday and a Thursday. You know. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's, it's going to be interesting to see what how this financially how it affects the unions, the clubs, and what's going to happen with the game and how the game is going to change in terms of who's going to play structure-wise and stuff like that, training and everything. So uh, it's it's going to be very interesting to see what's going to happen in the next two years. Interesting. Andre, well, we've gone just gone over an hour. Is there anything else you would like, to, you would like to share still and tell us about? You no, it's, it's just, I mean, it's, it was awesome talking to you again. And, uh, you know, obviously my comments are my own. Um, some people obviously don't yeah. agree with what I say and everything. But, you know, my comments are my own. Everybody's got his own opinion. Um, but yeah, it was nice chatting to you and yeah. uh, love to you all there. Please stay safe and uh, we'll hopefully we'll chat soon. Yeah, thank you again for, for making the quick time up. It, it's really appreciated. Really. No nice. worries, man. Right. Enjoy Th it. Thank you, Andre. Hopefully, chat to cool. you soon. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.